people just need hope and they want to belong somewhere where they can grow and use their and show that they they matter, right? And manufacturing is a vehicle for that. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? It's episode 124. This week, the new American manufacturing renaissance continues here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Our guest this week is Drew Crow. He's the founder of the new American manufacturing renaissance and is striving to ignite and energize American manufacturing by exposing youth, community, political leaders, and underserved groups to this industry. We'll be talking about how he's doing that today. Now, Drew first appeared on episode 46 of Manufacturing Happy Hour, where he shared more of his personal backstory. I'd highly recommend giving that a listen, but as usual, it's not a prerequisite per se for this episode. So, here are three things you can expect from today's show. First, Drew and I get caught up on the unique space where we did this interview. We actually did our last interview virtual, so it was nice to do this in person. Then we'll get into how his new American Manufacturing Renaissance tour is going and where he's been traveling to across the U.S. to make manufacturing more accessible to everyone. And this includes very pointed advice and actions for both individuals and especially employers listening to this episode. Next, if that tour wasn't enough, Drew will get us spun up on a TV show that he's been a part of called Project MFG. Finally, we hear about another side hustle that Drew's been working on that's really bringing manufacturing to some of the people and problems that need manufacturing the most. As always, if you want to learn more, if you want to access resources from this episode, you can do that at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 124. And if you're enjoying the show, if you like this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating over on Spotify. If you're listening on either of those platforms, it's super simple. On Spotify, it's easy. You just hit that five-star button on the podcast main page. And then for iTunes, hey, if you can leave a couple sentence review, that also helps us as well. So, hey, if you enjoy the show, five stars would be greatly appreciated. But without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. We're going to meet up with Drew Crow in St. Louis, Missouri, where he's going to tell us all about his new home office in a place called Conflux Co-Learning. Since this is a big table, cheers from across the table, man. How you doing? Man, I am blessed to be here. I am so grateful to be hosting my guy, number two. You know what I'm saying? Hey, it's good to be here doing this in St. Louis this time. It has been... It's been, I think, close to 80 episodes you since you were last killing, on the show. You're killing the game, man. So definitely I'm congratulations to you. But it's not a surprise because we saw it coming. You know what I'm saying? You do the work that other people don't want to do, and you're killing it, man. You're consistent, and you go get the best interviews. So cheers to you. Hats off to you. Kudos to you. And, you know, cheers to the growth of the brand, man, for sure. Hey, I appreciate the kudos, but this episode's about you, my <laughs> friend. And you have been out there killing it as well. We Thank were both you. hanging out at IMTS. This'll, this episode will be out like early 2023. So I guess that'll be last year at yeah. this point. But we're catching up right after the holidays in our respective hometown of St. Louis, having some St. Louis-style beers from Urban Chestnut Boulevard, I guess, from across the state as well. So... Perfect way to start. And I was listening to our episode, the old one, just to kind of get prepped, listen to yeah. what we talked about over, I think it was like literally two years ago when we did that one. Crazy and, that it's been that long, man. And you, a lot's changed for yeah. you since then. Back then, you were you were still teaching at Rankin. You had just launched the new American Manufacturing Renaissance. So since we're officially having beers, this isn't a theoretical question. This is a conversation over some beverages. Man, what, what are you up to today? Fill the audience in on yeah. what Drew Crow is focused on. So it has been a heck of a two years, man. Um, a lot bigger than I could have even imagined or planned for myself. Um, The tour is kicking butt. It's amazing. Uh, It's growing. We're coming back next year. 
um, with some bigger brands and some some bigger cities, and we're gonna blow last year's out of the water. As amazing <laughs> as that sounds, um, Project MFG, the TV show, we're gearing up for the next season uh, of the Integrated Manufacturing Contest, so that should be awesome. And then I got a couple of side projects that I'm working on as well uh, to bring some equity um, to these pockets of places that aren't getting enough love, but they really, you know, they need it and they can receive it and do a lot with it. So um, stay tuned. A lot more coming from the New American Manufacturing Renaissance. Um, we're going to utilize this beautiful building here, Conflux, uh, a lot more. So we've got a lot of cool stuff geared up to connect with the community and really bring this technology and this this industry to the people mm-hmm. um, because they need it and they might not know it yet. And we've been wanting to connect in a way that's that's real and organic and we haven't been able to do it either. Yeah. And, and I want to ask you about the tour. I want to ask you about Project MFG. I want to ask you about the side projects. And I think the, the, the last one will tie into where we're sitting right now. We're at Conflux Co-Learning in St. Louis, St. Louis City. Maybe paint the picture of where we are and like what this does. We'll get into more details on it a bit later, but I think we need to set the vibe. For sure. So this is a hub right in the heart of where manufacturing used to be, and then it left, right? And this was uh, one of the first schools this side of the Mississippi. It's one of the biggest schools, the old Carondelet School Mm -hmm. um, from back in the day. And just like a lot of American cities, manufacturing was the hub and was the thing that kept the lights on and the plates on the table and the kids fed and, you know, good Christmases, right? And eventually it left either overseas or to the suburbs and places like this that have the bones and the structure kind of left with it and it went down, right? And, you know, with the help of uh, some amazing partners and some amazing people, they were like, hey, we have the skeletons and we have the bones and manufacturing is coming back. So let's be a hub and let's be a beacon and show people, you know, how to get back to it and show manufacturers how to connect back with the people. So we are here um, in South City strategically. And this is a place where manufacturers can come and connect with the community. Um, They can connect with uh, marketing team, Go Brand Go. Um, They can connect with myself and the many different things that we have going on here. So they can get with the people, they can get with the, you know, the schools and, and tie in and rebuild that ecosystem. Yeah. And and you were giving me the tour before we sat down for the podcast. And I made the comment, I'm like, this brings back old St. Louis grade school vibes, kind of has that for anyone from St. Louis, that St. Louis U High, that DeSmet vibe when you're walking through the hallways. I'm like, I could tell this was an old school and what a great way to repurpose it as well. Yes. And and so the the thing that, um, thank you for the compliments, number one, but also the thing that, that is really cool about it is when we got the building, there was the challenge of keeping those vibes because it is on the historical record as a school. So Mm. there's some things that we're not allowed to structurally change. Oh, interesting. Yes. And that gave us even more of, you know, a creative challenge to make it, you know, what it is right now and make people want to come and feel those old vibes and feel Mm -hmm. like, yo, this is home. This is the hood. This is the crib. You know what I'm saying? So, well, we were, you know, I made the comment, there's like an old gymnasium here, but you and I are sitting in a conference room with a giant table right now. That's got the smart screens on the wall. Like it's high tech in addition to kind of having that, that old school vibe. So you couldn't have picked a better spot, not only for this podcast, but Hey, this is where you work out of. Right. Right. Excellent. And I think it, I think it really speaks to, you know, where we are in the industry. And then also, you know, what I represent as a brand because manufacturing is in that weird space where we still have all the amazing foundation and we've got the structure and we've got, you know, all the interest coming back, but we've got that disconnect from from the old and the new. But look how beautiful it is and, and how it works and, you know, synchronicity, I guess is the word, when you put it together and it can come together and we can have the best of the old intertwined with, you know, the best of the new and make it something like this, make it something that is a, you know, solid structure that, that showcases both of those things. So, so uh, we got a lot of ground to cover today. Um, (laughs) and I know we're going to get to all of it. So we talked to the tour project MFG, your other projects, and then certainly just kind of a state of the industry. So let's start with the tour. I think that's a fun one, right? We just set the, our current locale, but you've been on the road a ton. Like you were at Wichita state, yeah. you've been around the Midwest. I think you've been out East as well. Been out east, yeah. been in the South. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's been an eye opener. It's been really, really cool to be received, 
in all of these different places with uh, such positive vibes and positive energy. And, you know, to be honest with you, the tour was probably one of the biggest things in my life, one of the most scariest things that I've ever done in my life because, as you pointed out earlier, I left Rankin, you know, and Rankin, you know, being the technical school, that was my stability personally. And then it was also my foundation to be able to bring people in, mold them and get them out into the industry. Right. And so leaving that stability was something that was already pretty crazy. And then, you know, going out on a tour as a manufacturer was insane. Right. And so thank God that, that, you know, I, I bet on myself and then industry partners, you know, bet on me as well. And they, they said that this is something that the industry needs as a whole. And, you know, I took everything that I made and I put it into getting on the road and bringing people with me and putting together these presentations and, you know, feeding the people that came out to see me. We didn't charge anything to come out. You know, we we gave food. We gave, you know, via our awesome sponsors, Mastercam stuff and, you know, all type of things to keep people excited and really see what we're doing in our industry. And there were times I wanted to quit. I was like, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to like, you know, I was on the road every other week, but, you know, the people wanted to see it, you know, and it was making a change. And, you know, I would get an email from a teacher or a guidance counselor. And it's like, there's this kid that I couldn't reach. And, you know, they were just always in my office and we both shed tears together because for the first time, I didn't know what I was going to tell this kid because I didn't see a future for this kid. And it's like, you came and now there's, a new found like energy and they want to go do this. And now I can point them exactly where to go. And it's like, man, if I don't continue to get on the road and continue to get in these cities and do these things, who's going to do it, you know? And and I think you've done a good job of kind of like talking around the overall theme of the tour. But for someone that's just learning about this for the first time, what it what is the tour and what's the goal of the tour? Like yeah. in simple terms. So it's the New American Manufacturing Renaissance Tour. And it's to do two things. It's number one, to get communities and people, job seekers excited and involved with our field, get that awareness and know that there's options out there. Know what we do. Know that, you know, manufacturing is so multifaceted and that we want them here. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is to provide access. Right. So um, I do a manufacturing mixer as well. And I bring the industry out and I get the industry excited about hey, there are pockets of local communities that want the jobs that I have to offer and show them how to plug themselves in with these local communities. And it's really about, you know, building small ecosystems and starting conversations. And we were able to touch over 3,000 people. That's awesome. Me and a DJ, you know what I'm saying? So it's crazy to think about that impact and just think about how that started as, an idea and now it's as big as it is and, and getting even bigger. So what what type of spots were you going to? Is it always like at a university? Was it at, let's say, a corporate campus? Fill us in on that. So it was different in each different place and, and that was the beauty of it, right? Mm-hmm. So there would be places that I would go like Wichita where they're the number one aerospace capital of the world. A lot of people don't know that, right? And they were like, hey, at our school, at our college, we've got all these amazing programs, but we can't get with the community. And the community doesn't look like the people that are running these programs. And I think that our message would hit harder if we got alongside of you. So they hosted at the community. Detroit, it was the Boys and Girls Club. And they were like, okay. hey, we've got a lot of kids that have a lot of you know smarts and, and energy, and we want them to focus it into things that they can get real jobs, 21st century jobs, and they can have a real focus. And so I would go there and speak, right? So it was really the different communities that were reaching out. And then Manufacturing Mixer was always just at a bar. Yeah, Yeah. no, I I love it. And then in terms of like the key players in an ecosystem, right? You know, the tour had its sponsors, right? You were also going to the universities, the boys and girls clubs. And I assume corporations as well were jumping on board. What else made up like the community in this case, the key players? Yeah, so believe it or not, um, all of the the key players that you just said, but then um, economic development boards, the the mayor's offices were really, really involved um, twofold because they wanted, you know, people working and they wanted kids getting educated in things that mattered. And then they also wanted their manufacturing base 
to stay there and to be able to be profitable and attract more manufacturers to the area, right? So a lot of the economic development board uh, people were the first ones to be proponents of what we had going on. And then the smaller and medium-sized manufacturers, they were showing up in droves because they're the ones that are, you know, having the majority of the work that is coming back, you know, from the OEMs and subtracting a bunch of stuff. And they've got the need for workers as well. And they don't have the high-powered HR systems and they don't have the ability to throw a bunch of money. So they're the ones that are really looking for the most impactful ways to reach to the community in ways that that are going to kill that bottom line and kill those margins that might already be kind of thin for them. What uh, what was the vibe like when you walked into these rooms, right? What what was the audience makeup like? I assume it's actually I don't even know what to assume, right? Like who who what's what's the vibe in the room when you get there? Are these people that are in manufacturing, learning about it for the first time? Fill us in there. So great question. When I when I conceptualized this, and I first got on the road, I was like, okay, there's gonna be a lot of people that look like me, probably from the hood, and then there's gonna be couple of manufacturers that get it and understand that this is important and the new workforce is going to look like this. Mm -hmm. But I thought it would probably, you know, end there. And I thought it wasn't going to be a lot of people, but we would do something. But then I did Wichita and we had 300 kids and then we had 100 manufacturers. And then I did, uh, we did Memphis and it was the same way. And I watched the audience go from like I said, hoodies and Jordans and gold teeth to hoodies and Jordans and gold teeth to cowboy hats and and (laughs) Wranglers and boots, right? And they're sitting next to each other to, you know, non-binary people. And it looked like America, you know, and each one of these people in a different way because I shake every single hand when people leave and just thank them for spending time with me in our industry. And everybody said something different about, how they connected their, my story to what they're going through. And I saw that people share a lot of the same experiences right now. And it's not necessarily a black thing or a white thing or a gay thing or a straight thing. People just need hope and they want to belong somewhere where they can grow and use their and show that they, they matter, right? And manufacturing is a vehicle for that. And on the manufacturer side, I started seeing, you know, I thought it was just going to be people that that either looked like me or worked with groups that looked like me. But I saw the people that were like, hey, I'm an old white dude and I know that I have the heart to to reach out and I know that we need to. I just don't know how to do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got it. So help us. Show me what I can do better. Connect me with the people. And it was just an amazing thing to see in the energy just kept me charged and kept me wanting to, you know, keep on going because from the outside looking in, we obviously have a race problem and a sex problem and a gender problem and all these different things because we have a pretty archaic culture. But people want to change it and people are ready to change it and people are are not necessarily trying to uphold these old systems, but they are recognizing that they're a part of them and reaching out, trying to figure out how to improve them and make them better for everybody. So really encouraging and really exciting to see. So to address all the challenges that you've just mentioned, it takes a number of different people and organizations stepping up to the plate, right? You're obviously stepping up to the plate because you're creating this environment where it gives other people the opportunity to do that. From what you just told me, it sounds like a lot of individuals are stepping up to the place, regardless of race, creed, whatever it is, right? All walks of life coming in, as you just described. What are what are the things that, let's say, organizations can do to step up to the plate when these things happen? And what are the things that, as you mentioned, economic development groups, which not, not surprisingly, I've had a bunch of those on the podcast over the past yeah, couple of years. Yeah. And, and I, 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 it's nice to see that those groups are stepping up, but what are what are the concrete actions people need to be doing to get involved to change um, not only some of the things that are, quite frankly, have been issues with our country for a long time, but also change the things that will make manufacturing sustainable in the long run? Because if we don't do these things, there aren't going to be people to fill these jobs. Right, right. So I think I think the number one thing is understanding that this is a global competition that we're in in manufacturing. 
And now more than ever, our industry really, really needs us as citizens, right? So we have to look at ourselves as manufacturers and do an internal audit. And if we can't do it, bring somebody in and say, where am I weak? Because we need all Americans that are willing and capable to be in this industry, in this industry, right? Because we're not going against, you know, other nations that are cutting out half of their population, right? They're having all of their minds and all of their creativity and all of their experiences to the table to help with this thing, right? So number one, if you start there, then you can say, okay, well, this is for America. This is American. There are groups of Americans that have not been at this table, right? But that doesn't mean that I have to give up my seat or you do. The table is so big now because we work so hard and we have automation. We've got robotics. We've got all these different things that there are empty seats here that we want people to fill and we want people to have a voice and a, and a word, right? And then also look at the opportunities that we have, the great resignation. There's executives that are leaving different industries that we can bring in that are experts in diversification, in, you know, Kanban and Kaiser and all these different things. And it's like, Let's start taking those people and plugging them in and then start teaching them, you know, the trade later. But if they've got the skills on how to develop community relations and they've got the skills on how to recruit from different populations or second chance people and, you know, work that through HR, then that's what we need to start going after, that expertise. And then we can teach them manufacturing after that. As a community member, you know, internally, we can also locally start reaching out to the community in better ways, right? And that and that's the beauty of where we are. We're in such a, a, a place where we're backed up against the wall, worker-wise, that we can start looking at our business plan and our business models and shift it, right? We don't have to say a machinist is this type of person that went through these things a machinist could be somebody that knows welding, programming, you know, setup and, you know, conversational, right? And G-code. They don't have had to go through manual first and then, you know, be hazed. And the rites of passage thing doesn't have to be that way anymore, right? And we can build people to fit these careers and to fit these jobs, you know, and, and, and use the tech and use all these beautiful things that we have to start bringing people in. So I think, you know, right now, audit, know who you are, know what your company is, know who you're up against, and then start fixing those things internally. Externally, start working with the community, start reaching out to community groups because there are people that want to work. There are people that work with felons. There are people that work with battered women. There are people that work with, you know, foster children. There are people that work with all of these different stakeholders in these different groups that are trying to find them meaningful work and career paths and we're not there providing the option. You know what I'm saying? So get out, get in the community and then internally start looking at who you are and what you're up against. Great advice. Look internal, look external, take action on those things. I know a lot of people have been learning from you on this tour. What have you learned from the tour? What are some of the things that jump out at you? Man, amazing question. So, you know, I'm starting to see that this field is literally everything that people desire, right? Like, I thought that I was pitching manufacturing to kids, maybe to felons, but parents will come to me after the show and say, I've been in this particular industry and the pandemic stopped it. I can get over here in 18 months and make $20 an hour. Show me how to do it, right? I started learning about the different manufacturing associations and, and how strong or how maybe not strong they are. I started, unfortunately, learning about programs and, and how they work. And now I've got a better idea of the bigger picture and how to be more effective, not only with my message, but with what we can do as an industry as a whole. And I think that 23 is going to be crazy. 23 is going to be amazing because, you know, have you seen the movie 300? Uh, I actually haven't. It's on my list. I, I'm familiar with the movie. Okay. Though. <laughs> so, so you got to watch it. So okay. 
this year I was, you know, on fire and I loved passion for our industry, passion for the community. And I came down and I was just 300 style. I just had my, my blade and, and yeah. you know, and, and we conquered a lot and we did a lot and we made some noise. But this year, because I was learning and because, you know, I was open to these different things and different community members came to me. People from the LGBTQ community came and said, hey, you represent us, but when you speak on us, say it this way. Women, hey, we love that you're in these positions and fighting for us. Bring up these topics for us, please. You know, and this is how you speak on them. So now that I'm, I'm listening to these communities and listening to these pockets and finding how people would like to be represented and then seeing what works and what doesn't work and seeing how the industry receives it, seeing how community receives it now, we're not 300. Now we've got 300. Yeah. But we've also got snipers and we've also got drones <laughs> and we've also, you know, so we're more tactical and impactful with, you know, the energy that we're putting out. I, um, another maybe not so subtle lesson in there, but I feel like a lot of people are, are like spooked or afraid to talk about some of these topics because they're afraid they're going to say something yes. the wrong way. But you just brought up a very good point that even if you say something the wrong way, if you have the right intention, which usually the right intention comes across, someone will tell you, it's like, hey, we heard you say this, maybe tweak the dial a bit. This is how, yes. uh, you know, we'd like to, like, we'd like you to talk about this yes. type of topic, right? And it's like, it doesn't need to be something people are afraid of, right? It's something that if you have that regular dialogue, you'll learn how to have that conversation. And, and you said it, and that's what it is, the dialogue. But on both ends, and this is why I love to get into these communities and get into these businesses and do these audits because you said it right. A lot of people want to do the right thing and say the right thing, but cancel culture is killing us, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, we've got, you know, people that want to receive these things and they're blocking it as well, right? And it's like, okay, We've got to speak. We've got to be in a position where people are comfortable saying what they need to say. And then people are also comfortable receiving it in a way that you might have said something wrong. Let me teach you right. the right way. But sometimes we're like, oh, no. And we stand on that. We start defending ourselves. Right. But if we can get in a place where we can have a dialogue where there's a person that's speaking, there's a person that's listening and understanding, and then they have the opportunity to speak back. Then we can start hearing what are your needs, not me projecting my needs on you, right? And at the same time, we could say, hey, where did this actually come from? Should we cancel this person? Which I never think is the answer. Right. Or should we teach? Is this a teaching moment, right? And we got so far divided that it's like, we don't even want to come to the table because it's going to be a fight, right? Yeah. Right? So yeah. I love being that great in-between you know, and saying, hey, yo, this is the work that I'm doing. This is the, the you know, the work that I'm doing on the, the industry side and on the community side. So when I leave here, it might not be perfect, but at least we're sharing words at the table and we're hearing each other and everybody has an opportunity. Yeah. Great conversation here. This is not the only way you've been starting conversations, right? We're going to shift gears a little bit. I want to hear about Project MFG as well, which wasn't even on the table the last time yeah. we were having this conversation. So, you know, what's the one-minute summary of what Project MFG is? And we'll talk a little bit about that. So Project MFG is a, uh, a TV show that is a competition geared towards bringing that access and awareness to our industry as well. Um, there is, you know, community colleges and high schools putting four-person teams together mm -hmm. and showcasing their skills from fifth access programming, design, and welding. So there's an element of as much manufacturing as we can show. And then at the end of the competition, we give away $100,000 to the school and the team. Mm -hmm. So how, I just have a question. How did you get pulled into this? Like, how did that opportunity end up on the table for you? Um, so, and, and great question. So um, I had the opportunity to address uh, Congress and the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, Joint Chiefs, um, and the White House the morning that Russia invaded Ukraine. And um, we talked about the industrial base, and we talked about defense, and we talked about manufacturing. And if we need to get into a conflict or we're pulled into a conflict, do we have the base to be able to support it? And because 
we are so disjointed as a country and our industry is not humming like it should be, we're not, you know? And there were some people that were in the audience that work with Department of Defense that are funding um, in part this show. And they were like, we need that representation. Yeah. We need to do something more to get these people. You're passionate. You got a fire that we can't duplicate. And we want to insert you on the show. So um, it was, you know, I think the perfect marriage uh, between the culture and the community and our industry. And um, the numbers don't lie, you know, so we're we're humming. It's been interesting because I mentioned that I've been talking to more people from like uh, economic development groups within the different states. I've also been talking to the de- like Department of Defense has been a conversation that comes up quite a bit more in uh, in this podcast as of late as well. <laughs> so I, I should be less surprised that that that's one of the groups that's helping drive it. Um, I mean, just how's that experience been for you? What have you learned from that one? Um, so that's been another eye opener. Um, number one. Being on the show, they each episode was um, shot at a different technical school or community college in the United States, right? So I had the opportunity to get into different areas and see how the tech school systems are working and what they're doing. And then on the tour, use those things to teach other tech schools, you know, what I'm saying was right. It gave me a, a perspective that was really, really unique, right? At the same time, I got to get in these different cities and interview each person on the teams and, you know, see why they got into manufacturing and what they want to do with it and what excites them. So I really got a good introspect into the next generation and the people that are finding our industry by choice of our chance, right? Um, which also improved all of my, my keynotes and, you know, my ability to, to speak to that group of people, right? Um, so that was amazing. And then, you know, when the show came out, I got an amazing, you know, feedback that was like, Hey, the industry loved it because they were like, okay, we're finally being represented in a way that people will watch us. Right. And then, and then people were hitting me up and they were like, I don't know anything about manufacturing. I still don't know anything about manufacturing, but I saw you on it and now I want to know more, right? Yeah. And it was yeah. like, okay, cool. So we've got that that cultural kind of crossover effect where it's like, I represent us to the culture in a way that they want to come and they want to, you know, jump down no matter if they know what CNC machining or or programming is at all, right? It's, it's kind of like that whole micro and dirty jobs, but like with better, I'll just say better branding, right? Because dirty jobs implies that, hey, these are dirty jobs. You probably don't want to do these. Right. Now you're showcasing them as cool opportunities to build a career around things that are ex- becoming more accessible yes. when they might not have been accessible to other people. So. Yes. And then more importantly, they can see themselves in that environment. And I think that being able to represent the other, you know, whatever that may be, makes people feel more comfortable exploring our industry as an option and seeing that, okay, I'm not just going to be an operator because when I went on manufacturing day tour, I only saw women or black people or Latins or whatever it may be pressing a button. Now I see programming and I see there's no limit to this. Okay, maybe I should get over there. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's awesome to be able to represent those things both at the same time. So, I mean, you're, you're becoming this almost manufacturing showbiz guy or manufacturing <laughs> rock star. You're on tour, you're doing the TV thing. But I mean, the reality is you're doing, I mean, this is all down to earth stuff. And I think you mentioned you have a lot of side hustles going on yeah. that, that play into, you know, th- there's obviously an overall theme to what you're doing, right? You're creating the new American manufacturing renaissance and that involves awareness. It involves getting the community involved. But tell us a bit about some of these side hustles, right? Yeah. What's maybe the first one that jumps out? Yeah. That we need so to talk about? Um, I think the one that I am most excited about right now is right here at Conflux, right? And and these trap hackathons, you know, and as big as, you know, my personal thing is getting, it's never been about me, right? It's always been about the community and our industry. How do I make our industry better? and here for a long time, 
and pay it back for what it did for me? And then how do I also connect a community that really needs these careers and these jobs and that upward mobility that I got to this community, I mean, to this industry? And so, you know, with the tour, it was like, I don't want to be the guy, but, and that's why I didn't name it like the Drew Crow tour is like the new American manufacturing Renaissance tour, but who else is going to get out here in a meaningful way, connect with these communities in a way that they're going to understand it if it's not me right now. So, well, I think that awareness is pretty, that's the right self-awareness you need to have, right? You got to be the person that's the catalyst that yeah, gets out there, yeah. right? But you don't want to be out there making it about you. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I want to build this platform to find the next Elon Musk or find the next, you know, whatever great inventor or manufacturer or, or idea person and show them that like, yo, here's your platform, go run with it, right? So with that being said, here at Conflux, Last year, I was on the road a lot, so I didn't really get to get these things going. But um, over Christmas, um, we did a collaboration with Adobe and Nike and Spotify that brought the community together and really let them create and make and and see, you know, 3D printing, additive manufacturing. And that's something that really excited me. And I really saw the connection between people thinking that they weren't important or their ideas were dumb and then coming somewhere and saying, oh, crap, like, there's music here, there's food here, there's people. Yeah. Like, I belong, this place is there's for me. There's some ambiance, it's cool. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So, so, you know, these trap hackathons that we're going to start doing here is we've got problems that afflict a lot of people in communities that are underserved, right? Whether it be the trailer park, whether it be the projects, whether it be you know, suburban kids that just don't have it, right? And, you know, there's accessibility with 3D printers. There's accessibility now with, you know, CAD CAM systems that are either cloud-based or, you know, a little bit cheaper to afford. So how do we show people that their ideas matter? How do we take those ideas and make them for people and then show them the process of it and then put them into the world to help solve some of these problems, right? Yeah. So that's one of my number one most exciting projects that I've got going on um, personally because it brings the community together. We got rappers. We've got, you know, people that are excited about this on a larger scale that are in the culture. We're going to cross this thing over and really put manufacturing on, on the billboard yeah. in a big way, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I, um, I asked you when we were chatting before the interview, because you dropped the term trap hackathon, right? Yeah. I'm like, okay, I know what a hackathon is, but what's a trap hackathon? And you described it. It's it's something that, um, you know, we're a hackathon for those that might not be familiar with it. It's basically there's a problem and you leverage computers and programming to solve that problem throughout the weekend. You have like a project. But in this case, you're talking about solving problems for underrepresented groups, right? You said the projects to the trailer parks, et cetera. So you gave me a really good example earlier of what, hey, what are what are one of these problems and then how have one of these trap hackathons solved it? Can you tell me that story again? Yeah, so um, the very first one that we kind of did, uh, we were just really showing off the technology and manufacturing and the process of it. And a person that was there, and I wish I would remember their name so I can give them credit, but <laughs> a person that was there was like, can we use this technology to make like utensils and, you know, cookware for the homeless community. Um, this was around November. And at the time in St. Louis, we've got a lot of pantries that give out food boxes. And the question was, where do the people that are homeless take that food and then prepare it or take that food and then prepare it in a way that it could be sustainable and last them and not just go bad, right? How do we help people that may not have that structure, right? And they were like, what if we can make utensils? Can we 3D print utensils? Yes. Can we 3D print storage containers? Yes. Okay, then what do they do after the food is done? Does it become more trash? Or what can we do after that? And then we got with our friends here at Printerior who take plastics and PLA and stuff like that, melt it down, and then make it new spools and reuse it, right? So that was one way. And then the next way was, can we find material or can we make material that is biodegradable? And after we use this, we eat off of it, print it for single use, 
and then it it you know degrades after two different uses or whatever like that and these are the ideas that we're coming with and you know once people see that a your ideas aren't dumb and then b you do have a process to get these things created and made that opens up the possibilities and that opens up the amount of people that are putting their IP into this big American and global picture yeah. and helping us on a, on a bigger scale. Well, what I like about it is it, it, at least the way I see it, it's doing two things, right? It's, it's helping address some of these macro issues in the communities you discuss, but it's also showing the people in these communities that, Hey, this is how you get from problem to solution, right? There's a process, right? And we can make this stuff here. Yes. We can do it in a sustainable way. Um, and we can ultimately solve the issue yeah. that you have experienced in the past. And, and, and honestly, that is, that's the goal because coming from that type of situation, there's hopelessness. And that's where violence and, you know, feeling like there's scarcity and like you don't count, so you don't count, so I got to rob you or whatever it is. That's where all that comes from. But when you're in this situation, it's like, okay, my ideas can get me out or my work ethic through manufacturing can get me benefits and a high paying job and all these different things. Now you don't consider the street life and you don't consider some of the things that you might've been doing to supplement your life or just to survive. And you say, okay, I do matter. So people matter. And there are outlets for me. So if I choose to take them, right. And I think that that's great for America as a whole right now. You know, it's, it's, our cities are super violent and our teens are, are really like angsty because they feel like they don't matter. And it's like, hold on, let's pump the brakes. We've got this beautiful industry right here that can serve us in so many different capacities. We just got to bring it to you and show it to you. I love it. And, and we're getting, we're getting towards the end of this conversation, but I think based on everything we talked about, I think I've got a good way to help us wrap it up a little bit. So Let's go back to your main brand, the New American Manufacturing Renaissance. And it's been it's been almost 2 years since we had our last interview. So there's been some time for things to go by. So I want to get and, and I think in in line with what we were just talking about, right? To solve a problem it takes steps, right? None of this happens overnight. None of this happens in 1 year, 2 years, etc. So where where is one of the areas where you've seen the most progress in the New American Manufacturing Renaissance since oh, we last talked? I think that um you know, just the organic grassroots growth of people understanding, A, what the new American manufacturing renaissance is, that A, work is coming back, workers look differently, our jobs are here, they're high paying, this is the new wave, right? That's growing, but then also people understanding that they're a part of it, right? This isn't just about me, you're a part of the new American manufacturing renaissance, podcasts, influencers, this is the new wave of how people are going to find our industry, stay in our industry, and then grow our industry. So, you know, if you look at, if you look at, you know, two years ago, five years ago, the things that are on the, the presentations at the major conferences, people weren't talking about diversifying as much. People weren't talking about, you know, they're talking about the youth and how to connect, but these, these actual actionable things weren't not in place. But now we've got pockets of, of people all across America that are like, yo, let's get it. Let's march. Let's do it. You know what I'm saying? So I think that 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 energy is amazing. People connecting with the brand, but the, and also connecting themselves and their personal and local stories and actions is just, is bomb. And that's what, that's what I hope for, right? Like a lot of times people get into this weird, like competition thing. And it's like, oh, I can, be the only person that does this or only person. Talk about what I talk about, please. Because yeah. that's the only way we're going to change it. Yeah. You heard me say something dope. Say it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. But just give me credit. But exactly. say it. Yeah. Say it, please. Take my points. Take the actions that I'm doing. Replicate them. Do what I do or do better or do something and tell me about it. And I, I want to put you on this platform. But like, it's all about action. And it's all about, you know, building, you know, repeatable things that people can take action behind no matter where that is because what works in St. Louis might not work in, in Tulsa. You know what I'm saying? It might not work in 
Milwaukee. It might not work here, but we can have a base model and say, yo, if this is your demographic, try it like this. Because, you know, Megan Ziemba in, in, in Wisconsin did it and it's working there, right? Or, or, you know, whoever did this there. And now we got this groundswell of people feeling like there's something that they can connect to that connects to them and that makes them feel like they're a part of this. Well, I think it goes back to your point that there's a seat at the table, right? And just yeah. because you're out there preaching this and leading the path doesn't mean there aren't an opportunity for 10 other Drew Crows to jump up yes. and start spreading the word as well. Yes. Because there is, I mean, you've covered it, right? It's a, it's about giving people access to these jobs that haven't had that access before. It's an issue of national security and defense, right? Like there are all these reasons we need to be growing this industry and there is a seat at the table. So I guess my question then is, and you've, I think you've been hinting at this then, we got leaders of all shapes and sizes listening to this podcast, right? People that work for big companies, small companies, individual contributors, people that have giant teams as well. So, you know, what's, uh, what's the action item for everyone that's listening to this and walking away from this episode? What's the thing that they can go do to be a part of the solution? I think right now collaboration is key. I think, um, you know, well, first the introspect and then the collaboration, right? So if we look at the industry in another light, we look at just the tech side, we've got automation, we've got robotics, we've got fifth axis and more. And those are the things that are like, okay, this is what's going to push us into the next realm, right? So if I'm a shop and I take a self-audit and I say, okay, I can't compete right now because I don't have automation, I don't have robotics, I don't have an ERP system, or I don't have fifth axis, I'm going to go get those things. So I'm going to get an applications engineer. I'm First, I'm going to study and say, which one of these fifth axis machines is going to serve my purpose the best? Which one of these tools are going to do the best for me and my purposes? Which one of these ERP systems are going to do the best for me and my purposes? So I can compete, right? And then I'm going to get an applications engineer. I'm going to collaborate with Who's the best? I might call some other shops. What are you guys using? And make the best decision and then have a person come in and tune it in for my processes and make it the best that it can be and make it hum, right? Because I can implement a program, but if I don't know it, I can make chips, but am I really, really efficient? Am I doing the best I can do, right? Same way here with the culture, with the HR, with the reaching out, with the retention, if I am not built in a way that I can recruit, retain, and get people from these areas, let me collaborate with a company that does. Let me collaborate with the people that are watching. If people are watching your podcast, let me use your podcast as a vehicle to help me reach the people that I want to reach, right? So that collaboration right now is such a beautiful thing because, again, there are companies that are trying and they're winning and they're failing. And there are other companies that could learn from that. There are people like myself, like yourself, like Megan, that are on the front lines that are figuring things out, finding the people, putting them on platforms. So it's like, yo, if this is something that you understand is a need, and I think we have studies for the past 10 to 15 years have been saying diversify or die. You know what I'm saying? Find the people, find them, step out of your own way, collaborate, and let's build this thing. Collaborate locally, tech schools. How come kids aren't in your program? How can we help that, right? What can we do to help build that up? Tech schools, back to the industry. How come you guys aren't hiring people from our program? Yeah. What do we need to teach them? How can we, you know, because we, I've been there. We've, I've been teaching 15-year-old concepts. You know what I'm saying? But, but we don't reach back out and we don't listen. So let's have those conversations. Let's have those dialogues. And then let's reach out and collaborate amongst our ecosystem. And, and, and that's how we begin to build. Well, I don't think you could have picked a better action item for a podcast where the whole idea is, hey, sit down and have a conversation with someone over a drink, right? Collaborate, communicate, like make sure we're closing the loop between all these ecosystem partners, the individuals, the schools, the companies. Um, I love it, Drew. What's uh, as, as we wrap up, what's the best way to find you these days? Uh, best way to find me is the-mfg.com, the MFG. You can find me on LinkedIn, Andrew Crow, just like the bird with the E on the end. 
C-R-O-W-E because I'm a little bit more fly. <laughs> um, and then Instagram, v.cnc.mfg. Um, and, and, you know, or reach out to great people like this uh, that can get in touch with me um, on your behalf. But I want to work. I want to keep building, building for us, building for this industry, building for America. And that's where we're at. I love it. Well, I'm going to have links to everything you mentioned in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. So it will not be hard at all to connect with you. And I'm glad we got to connect for this podcast yes, in sir. person this yeah, time. Man. Cheers, man. And I did it last time, but I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Part three coming up. Coming Part soon. three. We will. We will. Hey, it's uh, you're, you're a hometown pal. So yes, it's sir. easy to make these, these happen. So again, we'll be doing that in person. So, hey, stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll catch you next time. Yeah. Cheers, Drew. Hey, thanks for listening, and thank you, Drew, for jumping back on today's show. For all the listeners out there, I have little doubt that we will be bringing Crow back in the future, so keep your ears peeled for that. As always, you can find links and resources at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 124. You can link up to Drew's website there. You can learn about Conflux co-learning in St. Louis. Definitely check that out. You know, it's noted that it's the nation's first co-learning space specifically for manufacturers and distributors. So if you're not in St. Louis, this sounds like a great place to borrow some ideas from. You know, before we wrap up, I just want to say that episodes like this, these are big conversations. I'll be the first to say that I don't always know if I'm saying the right thing, but that shouldn't stop me or you from trying to step up to the plate to talk and to listen and to take action in a way that will make the manufacturing industry more equitable and inclusive, which we've covered this many times on this podcast. This is an absolute imperative to keeping the manufacturing industry alive and thriving. Anyway, before we wrap up, I do want to give a shout out to the Association for Advancing Automation. You know, I know some of you follow me on LinkedIn and you see some of my travels. This episode's coming out near the start of 2023. I just came back from the A3 Business Forum, which is the Association for Advancing Automation's event for kicking off the new year. It's one of my favorite places to connect with go-getters and forward thinkers in the manufacturing industry. And by the way, if you ever want to look for whatever events they're doing, go to automate.org. That's their main website. And definitely, if you're listening to this episode before May 2023, you'll want to check out Automate. That's their premiere show. It's taken place in Detroit, Michigan from May 22nd through 25th. You'll want to attend. You can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash automate2023 to learn more. It is the absolute central point for the automation industry this spring. Don't miss it again. Automate 2023. And thank you, the Association for Advancing Automation, for all you do. Anyway, with that, if you liked this episode, hey, consider leaving a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts or at Spotify. Either one is great wherever you're listening, and it certainly helps get this show on the map with your five-star reviews and any kind words you want to add to the review on iTunes as well. Anyway, that's it for this week. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.